Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to different types of creative people about how they do their work and how they hang in through all the ups and downs. My guest today is an actor named Jonathan Slavin. I've known Jonathan for probably 22 years. We have an interesting um, meeting up story, how we got to know each other a little bit back in the day, and we're going to share that with you on the podcast. Um, but I'm interviewing him because I just saw him in a wonderful play called Home Front. It's a, a small play showing at the Victory Theater in North Hollywood, and he's so good in it. It's a really interesting story. All the actors are good. Everything about it is great. I took a couple of friends, and we were all super into it, so I was super excited to talk to Jonathan about Homefront and his whole wonderful career. You've probably also seen him on shows like Dr. Ken, Better Off Ted, Andy Richter Controls the Universe, Union Square, Santa Clarita Diet, and he's popped up in one-shot uh, roles in, in everything from Friends to Grace and Frankly, Grey's Anatomy. He just works all the time, and he's wonderful. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by... Me, pretty much. Um, uh, I have AJ Sousa is in New York. He mixes the episodes, does a wonderful job. But otherwise, it's pretty much me. And uh, if you want to support my work on the podcast and help me cover the expenses that go with it, there are two things that you can do. One of them is you could go to DennisAnyone.net slash support and leave a little tip in my virtual tip jar. I really appreciate it. Or I would love it if you considered becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. What's that? That's a collective of shows that I'm part of. Um, and for a monthly fee, you get my show two days early and you get all these wonderful shows on the DNR Studios network. We did a a collective like you don't know my life game with a bunch of the hosts and i was like i love all of these people so anyway check it out you may find some new shows that's at dnrstudios.com oh and also i have a voicemail so if you want to leave a message about anything to do with the show a question a comment about something we talk about you can do that at 1-888-647-9653 and before we get to the interview i want to give a shout out to my friend warren in canada he left a very generous tip in my virtual tip jar and made my day. Very sweet. Um, uh, Warren is an author. We met around the time that we were both writing books. Um, he had a book called Soon to Be a Major Motion Picture and a couple of great sequels like Making a Killing. And uh, I got to see him when I would go to Canada back in the day, but I haven't been in a long time. But um, hearing from him and getting that generous tip uh, makes me want to go back. All right. Thanks, Warren. All right. And now here is the interview with Jonathan Slavin. Joining me now via Zoom from Los Angeles, it's Jonathan Slavin. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm delighted to be talking to you because I saw your play uh, this weekend, Home Front. And it's not one word. It's two words. Home, space, front. front. And it's yes. so good. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it. But before we do that, I think it would be fun to tell the listeners how we know each other. What's your memory of how we met? It's a sordid tale. A sordid tale. tale, but it, it was um, a while ago. It was a while ago. Um, so I want to say it was like maybe 98, 99, I somewhere think it was then. like 99, 2000. Yeah. Okay, so that was what, four or five years ago? Yeah. And then, and um, I had, I didn't know you personally, and I had read Misadventures in the 213, and I was uh, obsessed with it, which everyone should be, by the way. Like, honestly, like, 
I get no money for saying this, no kickback, no perks whatsoever. It's so good. Dennis's book. I'm sure you've all read it. If you haven't, you should. Well, but, it's the 25th anniversary this year. Can you believe it? Well, I'm thinking of doing something. I have an idea about it, but I have to get it together. But anyway, fantastic. I, I, but it's, it was, it was so good. And, uh, my, uh, best friend, uh, was an actor that, or is an actor that I, I had worked with before. And I read your book and was like, we need to make this into a TV series. And she read it and was like, I agree. So you I read really, it first and then gave it to yeah. the lovely you Liz Vassy. Liz, Liz Vassy, yes. And she was like, agreed. And so I was like, great. How do we do that? Right. And she's like, I don't know. I guess we like stalk the author and find him somehow. So we stalked you and like input everyone who like we worked with on it. And they're like, okay, we got through to the author. He's not interested at all, but he'll like have coffee with you. And we were like, okay. And it was, and, and we were like, we think we can sell him on our, on how plucky we are. And like, just also that we're, we just, we're so right for this. And so we stalked you. We met you for coffee, but we didn't really know what you looked like. So everyone that walked by, we were like, hi, are you Dennis? Hi, are you Dennis? Hi, are you Dennis? Uh, I think we brought gifts. I, I think um, I remember something now that you mentioned it, but I don't know what they were. It was, I feel like it was at the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf on Laurel and Ventura's, which was, is sadly I, no longer there. Absolutely. I know. And I, th- I feel like, I feel like it might have been Joey Lawrence related, the gift. It could have. <laughs> I feel like that might be the title of this podcast. Um, <laughs> it could have been because you know I, I I love a Joey Lawrence moment. I had a I Joey Lawrence have... doll, and I <laughs> I took it to a friend's white elephant Christmas party a couple of years ago, and I mix <gasps> I still have mixed feelings about that because it was a hit, but also I miss it a little bit. And yeah, yeah that's yeah. a hard thing to release. Honestly, yeah. like yeah, yeah, I have a Carol Channing uh, ventriloquist dummy story, but I'll tell you another time. <laughs> you um, know, you're gonna but... tell me on this podcast what you're gonna do, but we're gonna get to it. But any yeah, so I I I. Heard from you guys, I guess maybe through an agent. I had an agent at uh-huh. the time, one of the yeah. few times I've ever had one. But I remember going and I was like, because the chances that I would think you guys were right for it and like I didn't know if you were, um, you know, professional, had been working. I didn't know really much about you. So I, I – but yeah, I'd love to meet them. But I, And also there was some other stuff in the works, kind of like yeah. b- brewing but nothing really. So I was like, sure, I'll meet them. And I got there, and you guys charmed my pants off. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they are. They are these characters. They could play these characters. Um, so my memory is, is of it is that I said, I want to give them a month. I'll give them, we'll, we'll do the rights yeah. for a month. And if we can't make anything happen, I'll move on. And my agent was pissed. Really? Yes. And I, because right after that, within, within that month window... I had a meeting with Laura Layton from Melrose Place. Oh, yeah, yeah. She wanted to play Dandy. She wanted to do it. And I told her, uh, I, I was honest with her, and I said, well, I've committed to these other people for a month, but, but, but you know, who knows if anything yeah. will happen. And my <clears throat> agent was mad that I told her the truth about that. Um, it should have stalled. What yeah, Sydney or, I don't know. Do? I was I like, don't want to piss I, Sydney off though, because she's crazy. Sydney will do some stuff. Laura Layton yeah. is probably lovely. Yeah, she was. Lovely. She was really Sydney lovely. But I was. My heart was with you guys. I really like. I left that thing, and I was like, these. I think I have a good feeling about this. And you guys uh, were going to go to Imagine Television, right? You mm-hmm. had a connection there. Yeah. And my 
editor at Movie Line Magazine, Edward Margulies, who was the first person to hire me as a writer because I sent him this random Madonna short story that I wrote, and he saw something in it and started hiring me. He passed away, and the day of the pitch was the day of his memorial. Oh, my God. So I did not go to the pitch at Imagine. I went to the memorial. And you guys went to the pitch at Imagine. And what do you remember happening at Imagine? It was honestly – I. It was, uh, we were, we were so prepped and we like did it and we, and then like, and we finished and like, and I remember that my agent uh, came with us and what she said is afterwards, she said, that was great, but you guys needed to shut up like 20 minutes sooner. And I said, why? And she said, because you'd already sold it. Wow. And you kept afterwards because she said they bought it 10 minutes in. Um, they just, they, they. They heard your passion for it. They heard how much you loved it. They uh, they just they got it and they bought it ten minutes in. And you guys kept talking for another twenty minutes because you had practiced this pitch. Wow, was so, it just you and Liz doing the pitching? Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it was yeah. And I remember there was a guy named Tony Katz. Is that right? Uh huh. Yeah. Right? He was the Imagine guy. Development. So yeah. I, I, and Gail I, Pillsbury, who I'm still friends with, who was who? head of casting. Gail Pillsbury was. Uh, oh yeah, was I remember her name. Yep, yep. Okay, so you guys sold it, and yeah. I, I, and then we embarked on this journey together. But I don't remember ever going into a network and trying to pitch it. Did we do that? We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We went to like back then. It was like we went to the um, the WB. Oh right. I don't remember I ever going into like a PBN network and Fox and. We had some good, good close calls. I think that ultimately it's sort of like what I say about that is experiences. I learned a lot about why things kind of like sputter out at the last minute is because I think in an effort, we were so young and new at this, all three of us really. I was super green. And, I didn't know anything. And, yeah, and I, I had think had one TV deal that fell apart. Like, Yeah, and um, I think we were so anxious to hang on to the deal that we said yes to things that we shouldn't have said yes to, and I think it ultimately diluted what was such so genius about your book. It became like a very different idea. We It was also, it was before single cam was happening, and we really pitched it hard as a single cam, and, and they were like, what do you mean? It's not a multi? Where's the diner? Where's that? And it was like, well, wh- like, it's not that kind of show it's on location it's all about LA. it's like this is la as a character in this and but we didn't want to piss anybody off so we said yes to too many things oh interesting i remember they paired us with a more experienced showrunner and i my memory of that guy was that he was he was all right like i i i had had a previous deal kind of go really south so i was a little Mm -hmm. bit like i'm just gonna kind of you know i can't assert myself too strongly um, but we had an adventure. We had a misadventure. We had and it a didn't misadventure. And he was great. It's just, he just came at it from a more traditional standpoint. And also, I, I feel like from like more of like a hetero male standpoint and like sort of um, didn't understand what was so fabulous about it and was like, it was determined like, I think that's too edgy. I think that's too much. And And it was like, I feel like Things succeed because they're too much and because they're too edgy and right. because we're into them. So, I do uh, remember my agent sort of eating crow and saying, when we sold it because she didn't think yeah. these two upstart it actors. We all made some money, like yeah. we all we got paid and we stuff. Got paid, yeah. yeah, yeah, and we got an, and I got another chance at the Apple. Um, yeah, but it didn't work out. But I've always thought of you as like the mini me in a way. So, <laughs> and you and you guys would have been great. And uh, it would well, have been now. Fun. I can play. I can play his dad now. Yeah, sure. You can totally do it. And, uh, and also, I think at the time, it, you know, it's always 
been tricky to try to get a gay character on TV, but I think at the time they were like, well, Will and Grace already exist, so yeah, there can only be they, one. Yeah, and I feel like it was that. There was a lot of, how is this different than Will and Grace? And it's like, because they're different people. Yeah. But it was like, it was like, but it's a gay guy and a straight girl. So that's, that can only yeah. be one thing. Yeah. There was no, there was no uh, exploration of nuance at the time. But I remember going to some meetings at your place with mm-hmm. uh, Michael, your husband and Liz yeah. and yeah. A, a, a menagerie of animals of critters. Always and you've always that. loved animals. And she was obsessed with these like vegan ice creamy things. What were they called? Oh my God. It was at that, um, Oh God! It like, was like a diet ice cream that everybody was eating at the time. <laughs> yes, I can't remember and it what they were at called. That same shopping center with the, I think they had it there. It was yeah. like some kind of. It was basically like air. It was cold air. It was cold but air. Like, but everyone was but obsessed with them, and we would take breaks and eat them. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. were like there were like pieces of styrofoam, I think, in it. So it was very low carb. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was right, like right at the cusp of the um, the Atkins movement. Yeah. Where we're all like, oh, I I feel amazing. All I eat is fat. Yeah. Like, and you, even then, you loved animals. And, I did. Uh, tell us what how many animals you have right now with you in your Zoom room. I have in my Zoom room right now. I have uh, or in your five, house five cats, two dogs. A pig and a turtle. What's the pig story? Where does he hang out? Um, or does she hang out? She's honestly right at my feet right yeah, now. Just um, hanging out. Uh, she's an indoor pig. Yes. Um, she's old. I've had, uh, we rescued her at about two. Um, and, uh, but she's my second pig. I had a, I had a pig for almost 17 years before her that I was also a rescue pig. Um, so I thought that just is something that I've always, I, it doesn't feel weird at all to me to have a pig in the house, but it is sort of strange to have a 150 pound pig. So she's big. What's her name? Her name is Penelope. Oh, that's my roommate's name. Wow. Penelope the pig. Yeah. So how is it different Um, having a pig than a dog or a cat? Like day to day? What do they do? They're so much smarter. They are literally just under dolphins and whales on the scale of animal intelligence. So if you can imagine, like, if you had a dolphin, it wouldn't actually, it wouldn't be like a pet. You'd be like, oh, I have to interact with this. If this is a weight, we're having a conversation. And so it's, it's like that. It's, she understands, she speaks like she, I can say things to her and she gets it. Like if she's having a tantrum, it's like, listen, like we're with a dog, you would just do like a no or a stop or with her. It's like, listen, we have talked about this. I'm not going to stand for it. I get it. You're upset, but it's, a, and she'll, she'll, okay. Or, um, I mean, this is a bummer of a story, but, uh, I had a dog with cancer that was kind of her bestie who, passed away unexpectedly at night. And so her body was just here. And, uh, and when Penelope got up the next morning, she went to go see her as she always did. And like spent like seven minutes trying to rouse her. And then like, and then like understood that she was gone and, and cried and had to lie down and put her head in my lap and like, and has kind of, it oh kind of God. never been quite the same. She really misses her. And, and it's been months. It's not like a dog who goes like, I'm confused. Like she, she understands the concept of like, there's a big, there's somebody gone from my life and I miss her. Um, they're just, they're so smart. It's crazy that people just see them as food because they're really just, just so smart and sensitive and. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. I but love I, it. How yeah. does Penelope go outside? Like, what's yeah, the day to day? Yeah, she's to the Yeah, yeah, she's to the bathroom. She'll be like, "I'm going to go out." Yeah. Um, during, I have a giant loquat 
tree in my front yard and during low quad season, she'll wake up and really early and be like, Hey, I know it's like 6am, but I cannot stop thinking that some low quads have probably fallen during the night. And I feel like you should let me out so I can go check. And then I do, and she eats them all and comes in and goes back to sleep for a couple hours. And then it's like, I just woke up again and thought there might be new low quads. So like, you know, she's, she's definitely like very, uh, very aware of what's going on. But, um, but she's also old. She's, she's almost 15. And so wow. she's, yeah. yeah. When did you fall in love with animals? When I was tiny, when I was a little kid, I always, I, you know, I think I've, I've often said sort of follow the narrative that I was very shy when I was little, but I, as I've gotten older and really had to confront it, I don't think I was shy as much as I was just really noticeably queer. And so I didn't want to open my mouth and I didn't, I had a hard time making friends and I had a hard time being around kids my own age and animals were kind of what I always gravitate. It was like, oh, they just love me. Like they just, like, I just... I was that dorky kid with like nine fish tanks in my room and a rabbit and like, you know, I just, I, I, I just loved, I would find hurt baby birds and nurse them back to health. I was just that, like that weird dorky queer kid who just had an affinity for animals. Everyone was sure I would be a vet. And your parents were fine with it. I mean, there were some trying times. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most unusual animal you've had? Um, probably a possum. You had a possum for a pet. I it was accidental. Yeah, um, the accidental I, possum. It was he. he she was to, he was sorry. He was totally the accidental possum. Um, uh, Michael's cousin found him clinging to his dead mother in his yard and like brought him over. And I was like, "Well, this possum is going to die." It's like this tiny mouse-sized possum. And I was calling all the wildlife rescues. I did everything you're not supposed to do. Please don't do this. I was the wrong thing to do. Don't do it. But I called all the wildlife rescues and and they were like, and I had a possum guy and he was like, "I hurt my back and I'm not taking any more possums right now." And and so he kind of talked me through what to do to rehab this possum and was like, and then at like six weeks of age, he'll get really aggressive and let him because then you can release him. And like six weeks came and went and eight weeks came and went and 10 weeks and like six months. And this possum would like see me and come running over and climb up my body and like nuzzle my into my neck. And that, that possum's like, like, I ain't going anywhere. This is, so, I was like, this how is like the I really, W hotel yeah, I'm in. I, Yes. So I couldn't release the possum. So he just lived with me for his whole life, this possum. Yeah. Would he play possum, like lay around like possums do? No. You know what I found out about that is that is not a choice. That's a neurological response that they can't control. And it's like a response to stress. I think that I would like to adopt it as my response to stress. Yes. Just like suddenly like just be like like stiff and cold on the floor until the stress is passed and then rise. But um, yeah. I love it. So yeah. let's talk about your play, Homefront. Okay, great. I went to see it this weekend. I took two friends of mine, and we all loved it. And that first scene, it's, it's the other two characters in the play. It just sets a scene, and you're just in. And the acting is good. The writing is good. Um, how would you describe the story to someone that knew nothing about it? I mean, sort of the you know the 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 nuts and bolts of the story is that it is about an interracial marriage in 1945 in New York. Um, uh, I would also describe it as the story of three very lonely, disenfranchised people who, through a confluence of events, kind of come together and, for better and much, much worse, create a family. Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, I really liked it. You know, I, I didn't think that I would, you have to be careful with plays in LA sometimes because sometimes you, 
it's just not a good experience or you don't want anyone to come see it. But this has been, it's been really a positive thing to be a part of. I really, I read the script and was really intrigued. Um, it's written by Warren Light, who, you know, won a Tony for Sideman and was also the showrunner on Law and Order SVU for many, many years. And so he really understands how to write trauma and people navigating trauma and people healing from trauma. And um, to be a, you know, a play about a woman, a queer person and a person of color in 1945 it's there's a lot there's a lot going on right did you audition for it or did they did they reach out to you how did it work i have known austin who plays the female lead for many many years and she's great she's great and she texted me and was like would you ever consider doing a play and i said not really unless it was the right play and she sent me this play and i was like oh damn it i like it so i spoke with the director and and she was like i'd love to have you come in and read and uh, where normally I might not do that, I also wanted, it's a three character play and I hadn't worked with this director before. So I was like, what I said to Michael is like, they think they're auditioning me, but I'm auditioning them right. because you want to see the vibe. See if, like, like what if everybody else in it is really bad or what if she's not a good director? And so we all got together and it was just, it just all kind of worked. And I was like, oh, and, and she was, she said she had seen so many actors, but it was, it's a tricky role. Right. Um, Describe the character that you're, you're playing. I play Edward Glimmer. Um, so not, Glimmer. Uh, yes. I, I think not that. his real name. Um, uh, he, he references his mother at one point and calls her Sarah Tablinski. And so I figure at one point he was Edward Tablinski. Um, uh, although that could have been her maiden name, but but uh, he is he is the upstairs neighbor. He is a gay, seriously injured uh, World War II vet. He was a medic. He uh, he has experienced homophobia his entire life, um, and yet he is a caretaker and and a loving person. And like I think, like a lot of queer people do, he navigates. Uh, tricky situations with humor um, and by um, by trying to lighten things up a bit, but he's he's complicated and based on Warren's uncle. Yeah, that's who, interesting. What did Warren tell you about his uncle? Oh, so much. I got to see his artwork and and you know I I had said at one point. So you know this character grew up in the Bronx. Is he? Do you want that dialect? And and he said no. If you met my uncle, you would have thought he might be from England. And I thought like, oh, we do that. To, like like gay right. people do that. Yeah, yeah he was he was affecting something. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was it was fun to kind of try to find his voice and um. And also to just see how much he meant to Warren. And on opening night, Warren was there with his, his daughters, um, who are, uh, uh, young teenagers. And I walked out and they, after the show and they went, and one of them said, it's Uncle Edward. And I just, I loved that because they didn't know him and they were like, I'm sorry, we shouldn't call you Uncle Edward, but it just, we know so much about him and we've seen his artwork and we just know like how much my, our dad loved him. And, and so it was, it, you know, you want to be careful and not, not not do a bad job on somebody that's based on on someone that yeah. that the writer loves. You know, um, but I love where we found him and where you know there, Warren was open to fictionalizing things. He was Warren was amazing to work with and really curious and 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 especially if I was like sort of from a queer perspective, this is a tricky moment for me. He was very amenable to. Oh well, let's talk about it then and let's you know let's let's make sure that everyone feels is comfortable so yeah 
Well, Edward Glimmer has a bit of the fairy dust. He gets a lot of laughs, and you bring a oh, lot yeah. of levity to it. But there's also a poignancy to him. But also, you don't want to you don't want to play a cliche. You don't want to be the the Charles Nelson Riley character, whatever that would be. How did you think about that? Um, you know, what I, what I thought about was, um, you know, I don't pass. Uh, I often say that like people told me I was gay before I even knew what that means because right. I opened my mouth and I sound like a homo. Um, and, uh, sorry, you can bleep out that. If that I don't no, mean to be offended. Not that, I'm, I'm, I'm reclaiming the slurs. Reclaim uh, the slurs, baby. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know what, what I think what I learned to do because I grew up in kind of a small town in Pennsylvania it was it was a scary place to be a queer person um and and identifiably queer I think at some point particularly in my Methodist prep school I became extra and I kind of weaponized my queerness and I started dressing like Duran Duran in a in a prep school situation and I I was like I'm going to be the weirdest queerest person in the room and and by doing that, I'm going to become a little bit scary because right. there is something about that. You it's know like what armor. I mean? Yeah. And so what I tried to do with him was play with, play with when he's unsure of a situation, he leans into it. You know, right. he, this is who talks about at six, his father could barely look at him. So you go, well, he's been identifiably queer his entire life then. So maybe he's adopted that same coping skill. So that's kind of how I, how I approached it, which was if he's going to be extra, it's going to be for a reason. And then there are times when he chooses not to be because it's, because there's something happening and, and, and it, and it just gets to the heart of the matter. So, um, so I, I, that's kind of how I navigated that. Well, I really loved the play. It was interesting to think about that period of time and the soldier, the, 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 that's the African-American man. That's the other male character. Yeah. He's based on, a, there was a real troop of yeah. like uh, 16, 13, um, 13. The golden yeah. 13. Tell yeah. me about the golden 13. I thought that was really the golden interesting. 13 was, uh, it was the first, uh, uh, it was the first time that, that the Navy promoted, they, they chose 13 black, uh, um, uh, what naval, People, I don't know what soldiers. they're called. We'll go with soldiers. Yeah, soldiers, and made them officers. Put them through officer training and made them officers. Uh, but it was also largely a PR move because it was something that Eleanor Roosevelt was really pushing for. And so, you know, they never saw any combat. They were sort of just paraded out as the new face of the Navy. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's it was it was much more for the appearance of diversity than for actual diversity and equality. Right. And we see that through that character's eyes, like this idea of like this, I have this prestigious thing. This must mean something about where America's going, but it was not necessarily. No. Yeah. No. Heartbreaking. Um, And the set is good. The lighting's good. It was just all great. So are you having fun with it? I am. I really, I really like it. I really like now that it's open, you know, it's just, you know, it's hard to tell when, if, when you're in something, if, if it's working or not, you know, and, and, uh, it took me a lot of tries to really find, especially what I was doing. You know, I was really able to sit back and see like, well, Austin and CJ are doing a great job, but I'm not sure where I fit into this. And I, and I know that they want me to be funny because the play is, is quite heavy at times. 
Um, but I also, I you don't are a want... breath of fresh air, by the way, a breath of fresh air, a gust <laughs> in the Victory Theater. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, but you know, you don't want to go too far or be like, or, or, or pander to that sort of the, take the easy way out of like, oh, he's gay. So he's funny. It has to be, you know, so it, it, it was, it was a tricky navigate for me, but I'm very pleased with where the whole thing is settled and it's a fun play to do it. It, feels like it moves well and and you know you kind of the backstage of it never stops so the second i'm off i'm changing for the next thing and 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 it once once that the light the lights go up it's it's a bit of a marathon and i like that that feels good right i love it you mentioned that you just don't pass that you feel like you know the the the, Yeah, yeah no how did that work as you started to approach a career in hollywood did you ever even try or was it talked about because you, yeah, you've sure. been out your whole sure. your whole career, and that's something I really I, have, ad- yeah. I really admire that. Um, well, th- thank you. I you know I I very I I had an agent, and I had an uh, an a- the, the agent who convinced me to move out here from New York. Uh, two months into my stay, brought me into his office to tell me there was a concern that I was too gay for Los Angeles and I should maybe go back to New York. <laughs> too gay and to function, had, as they say in Mean Girls. Yeah, too gay to function. Yeah, yeah. And then I had a manager for a, a lot of my career who, tore, you know, once I got sort of my legs under me and I was able to withstand it, I would go, I'm not having that, that conversation again, but it would be like, you know, the feedback came in that you're like, just too gay for this. So like, whatever you're doing, stop it. And it's like, you, you may as well tell me to like, stop being right-handed. Right. Like that's not an option for me. Um, you know, it's, it, it's who I am. It's, uh, I'm sort of grateful that I never, that the closet never called to me. And I was also never, I was never like going to be like the fuckable on the show. So who cared? You know what I mean? Like, but, but, and yet there are plenty. You would have been the fuckable on Misadventures in the 213. Totally. But I got fired. We would have played up those eyes. You were adorable. It would have worked. I would have, it was the 90s, so I could have worn like some fun necklaces. Oh, for sure. Maybe some weird vest. Maybe you had a weird vest game happening. Weird vest would have been so slimming. Weird vest. But I got fired from a a show for being gay, you know, um, by people who like are like, like claimed. It's so it's, it's always interesting to me, like this sort of super woke, um, uh, image that this this business likes to pro- project right. when it's like and like meanwhile they're only hiring straight people to play queer people because they only like people who act gay if they know it's an act um they uh, you know it's it, it's it really is it is still very much a boys club it is still very much an old school network um it still very much comes up you know uh i even you know, I'm, I'm a, I get in a lot of trouble because I'm a proponent of only queer people should play queer characters. And I, a, a casting director was talking to me and said, I would never, a gay cast director, I would never cast someone according to their sexual, uh, orientation. And I said, like, really? so, so then like when you've been casting like the dad in something, the young dad, you've never not seen an actor because you thought they were too gay for the role. And he was like, well, yeah. And it's like, okay, so you'll do it only when it penalizes people, not when it benefits them. And he's like, uh, I, I, uh, because there really isn't a response to that. Do right. you know what I mean? There's, there is no equity in this. There's no, there is no, you know, if you don't pass for straight, you, it's going to be an issue. Yeah. And yet, like, I, it's much more important to me to be a big flamer than it is to be like to do some stupid TV series. So I, 
you know, I, I'd rather be me. And, and I'm glad it wasn't an option because then I was never tempted to do it. Right. And I, you see the actors that come out later and I'm always, there's always an asterisk by their head when I think about them. Yeah. Maybe that's my own personal stuff, which we've unpacked a number of times on this very podcast, but <laughs> there's always a little bit of like, mm, you could have been braver. Yeah. Dude. Now take and, your and, glad and, award and shut the fuck up. I also yes. feel like when actors come out, celebrities come out, um, well into their career, they should mm-hmm. have to do like five years of b- gay bingo in West Covina before you yes. get the glad award and the cover of out. You don't, you I can't agree. cut to the glamorous stuff right away. But the, but the thing is that the, like all of those organizations are trying to sell themselves as organizations. So they're, it's no different than like, uh, than, than a magazine putting a hot yeah. girl up. They like stars. Yeah. So that's, and that's the thing is like, you know, like they'll put Darren Chris in his underwear on the cover of out before they'll put, uh, I don't, I, I, I can't even think, but, but, uh, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's Chris it's, Colfer in a nice natty yeah, suit. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. So it, and, and there is that I, I'm very good friends with someone who came out in, into his career, but who started his career as a child. Yeah. And in that case, I get it. And I also have to say that, you know, when I look at people who I'm thinking of someone really specific who I don't know, and I don't know their story, but I look at somebody who is really handsome and did pass for straight and was in the closet for many years. Like, I am sure that was agonizing and terrifying to be right. like, Not you fun. have to be the one that girls think are cute. And if anybody finds out it's over for you, that must have been horrible. So I'm really grateful that I was always like, what are you going to do? Right. Like, there's... There's nothing in that, like, I, like, I, I'm waving a pink streamer every time I enter the room and I'm happy to wave it. So that you have no leverage, you yeah. know, like, when you go, you're, you're, it's coming off a little gay. I go only a little. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so when the, the show that you got fired from didn't, what was the deal? Like they knew you going, it wasn't a surprise, was it? No, but it was, it was a role that they really struggled to cast. Right. And it was specifically for a comic for, uh, who then couldn't do it because he was otherwise engaged. And it right. was like the lead guy who was also a comic. It was his best friend. And, um, and I went in and sort of came at it from such a different angle that it shocked them into submission for a moment. Right. And, the showrunner was going to change it and make it right and da da da. And I remember we did like the first studio run through and I just knew, and I literally took everything out of my dressing room when I left because I was just like, they're, they're about to fire me because they, and there, because there was just this feeling of like, why is he friends with that queer? Do you know what I mean? And it was that feeling. Wow. And I'm not particularly, I don't, like, if somebody's an asshole to me, I don't go, well, it's because you're homophobic. I I really give people the benefit of the doubt and trust that they might just be an asshole. But when it is about, I've been doing this a long time, and even then, I think I was 28, 29 years old, um, even then, when it was about that, I knew exactly what was happening there. I knew exactly the vibe, and I knew that they would fire me, and they did, for How sure. How did you get the news? I, I went home and I got a phone call and I got a phone call and was like, yeah. And it was my agent and my manager and they went, honey, it's not, I went, yeah, I know. Wow. And I was like, when do they pay me? Yeah. Did the check clear? <laughs> like, yeah. It was sort of like, because honestly, here's the thing is as painful as that was, I don't, 
fucking want to work for people like that. Yeah. So like, it's like, if you don't, if you don't get what's magical about me, then you don't get me yeah. and I don't want to do work for you. So, and I know that probably sounds so egotistical, but I've also You've been like, earned it. come on. I mean, it's, it's also like, if you're not going to go, okay, so then we'll make it queer and, or we'll, we'll like, whatever, like, if you're not going to defend me, I have no interest in working for you. Cause I think you're kind of a shitty person because you let someone fire somebody for being queer. So like, I have no, in- and so there was very much, now, I've run into the the showrunner from it a couple of times, and I'm not particularly nice to him. Um, nor is he particular. I think I probably make him really uncomfortable because he probably get, he gets a lot of credit for being like a fun woke straight guy in this town, and I know his secret. Ooh, so. intriguing. Um, I went to see the comedian Matt Rogers. You know who he is. Uh, yeah, yeah. His, his Christmas show here. I'm a fan, and it was super funny, and I was into it, and. And Louis Vertel was in the audience, and I saw a few other, like, sort of younger gay guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at them, and I'm like, wow, they're doing their thing. They're yeah. out. They're getting that Showtime money. They're getting that Netflix money. Yeah. And I feel kind of proud for coming ahead of them in some small way. Do you share any of my sentiments, or are you like, Absolutely. those fucking brats are so lucky? Or is, <laughs> yeah, what do you think about – I feel like it's different for younger guys now, and there's more opportunity. They're getting some Netflix money and stuff like that. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm going to say something so pretentious that I hate myself and I want to stab my eyes out with skewers. <laughs> That's but, actually um, the name of this podcast. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, Wendy Wasserstein wrote this beautiful play, The Heidi Chronicles. Yes. And, um, and I'm not going to get the quote correct, but, but her character is a feminist, uh, and we see her navigate the women's liberation movement right. and like, and really be at the forefront of that and really try to make a difference. And it's, and one of the characters says to her at one point, you're the generation that's going to make the difference, but it won't be you who benefits from that. And, um, and I have great respect, great respect for the generation that came before us. Um, most of whom are dead because, uh, because this country perpetrated a genocide on queer people, um, in the eighties. But, um, but, uh, but I also, I can't imagine what it was like to be afraid to be arrested for being gay. And, and so I, I, I hope we took everything. I hope we, I hope we picked up the baton from them and took it a little further. And I am thrilled that the next generation is benefiting from the work that we did. Right. I am not selfish about my work. I, I had nowhere, to, you know, I'm super, I'm old as dirt. And so like, I, you know, I had nowhere to look when I was a kid to, and see myself. Do you know what I mean? Right. I was just joke. You turn on Eddie Murphy delirious and you'd see what people thought of queer people. Do right. you know what I mean? And he was what a 23 year old guy at the time. So like, I yeah. don't, I don't hold, I, I, I absolutely allow people their growth, but that was, that was how queer people were being talked about. That was how AIDS was being talked about. It was a joke. Right. And so, and and so I am, if I ever was on something and made a gay person feel less alone and, or made them think I could do that, I could do that. I, then I'm thrilled that they're doing it. And I hope their obstacles are smaller than ours were because we, it was hard to be, it was hard to be our generation. Yeah. You know, I think it was tough for us and there was opportunity, but there wasn't a lot. No, there you was know. the, uh, and there and was sort it, of a there was a ceiling that you could hit. To. You, there was a point you could get, but not beyond mm-hmm. it. You know. I mean, I how many how many breakdowns? People thought it was perfectly okay to write Seth 
22, gay, but you'd never know it. And it's like, that was, that was like the fucking breakdown. And it's like, like the, what you mean is you're only seeing straight people for this role. I remember reading for a straight, for a gay role. And they, and the feedback was like, it's just coming off very gay. And I was like, right, great. Well done me. And they were like, no, no, no we want like broke back mountain gay. And I was like, and I literally said to them, so what, like no oral, but I'll do butt stuff. And they were like, okay, cool. Next. Like, but it was like, but it's like that, that what the, like, you didn't, you, when you say Brokeback Mountain gay, you just mean you want straight people. You only want to see straight people do this. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's something I think about when, when it comes to gay roles and gay, gay actors and things like that. And I've created a few things and cast people. And I know as the writer, you just want them to come in and be the person. And if they, yeah. if they are that person, you're like excited. But I also sure. know that there are sometimes there's a, there's a little gay thing and I'm like, oh, that, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I remember yeah. casting something because of the, he said something in a gay, quote unquote gay way. And yeah. that made me laugh and that made me pick him. But what I think what I worry about sometimes is that, especially as a gay creator, that you might lean toward the straight guy because deep down, subconsciously, yeah. you think they're better. You think Absolutely. they're just better men, better people. Oh. It's better to be straight. And so it's not conscious. It, like, that's what I worry about. Like, no. casting somebody because deep down I, I think they're sexier or I want them or I just think they're better or I think there was something wrong with the gay guy that came in next. Yeah. But I, I we don't are, think we, I'm that way, but I, I could see how somebody could be. Yeah, we have a lot of internalized homophobia. I mean, think of how many... How many online porn sites are devoted to like straight guys yeah. doing gay stuff? Do you know what I mean? It's like we have fetishized straight people being queer because we we don't want to like I I can't tell you how many times I have like read something that is clearly autobiographical, clearly, and I've gone in and met the guy who wrote it who looks like me. He's like a schlubby, queeny little gay person, right? And and, and like I go in and I go like I get this, I so get it, and I have a fun read right. and I. Them and I leave, and then I hear that like they're going with John Stamos, and it's like right because you don't you don't want to see yourself up there. You want to see right. the version of you that you would never be that you, right. you will never be. It's interesting and, because I was just watching. I'm working on a project about RuPaul. I'm writing about RuPaul for a podcast that I write for called Even the Rich, and I was watching uh, an interview he did with Joan Rivers in bed with Joan, and she was talking about merchandising opportunities and selling this and makeup and stuff like that. And Rue, this was, year, you know, a number of years ago, maybe like 10 years ago. But Rue said, you know what? Gay guys don't buy merch from other gay guys. And I mean, even if it's like drag makeup or whatever, I bet today, post-drag race, I bet he sells a ton of it. But I bet he sells more to women. I don't. I, 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 gay men support their fellow artists in some capacities. We, uh, honestly. Not, like they'll go to plays by them, I think. Eh, we are not. I'll say. <laughs> but you know, the, the, we don't support each other the way lesbians do. Or the way, I mean, like, listen, I did, uh, I did a show called Dr. Ken for two years, yes. you know what I mean? And I remember like the first 10 episodes, I was always like, like East West players would come and like the, like the artistic director of that theater would come and there were, and there were different publications and different people coming and, and they were all from Asian backgrounds. And I, and I finally asked, uh, Su Susie, uh, Nakamura who, who played, um, uh, Allison on that. I was like, what's what's the deal with that? And she was like, oh, it's just like support from the community. And I was like, Jesus, this would never happen with gay people. Like, unless, unless you're hot. Like if Alexander Skarsgård was naked every yeah. week, then the gay community would show up. The advocate would be here with a camera. Right. But like, 
but like if it, but I'm like the queer character on this thing and like there's no interest because because it's just we don't and we don't feel other communities want to elevate from within their community. They want to like, I want to create jobs for, for people in my community. I want to go like, I'm going to give you opportunities I didn't have. I'm going to, and we go, shouldn't it really be the best person for the job? And that just happens to be that hot straight guy. And it's fucking weird. Absolutely and Stamos. It's always Stamos. It. It's always Stamos. <laughs> you, can um, I tell I you a story about John Stamos? Please. So back in the day in that era, around the time that we met, um, I think he and Rebecca Romaine, who I had interviewed, they were together. I, th- I think I gave her a copy of my book. I was always giving those books out like candy. Like I was always working every angle. But I think they liked it. Like they liked it and they were fans of it or whatever. And I was – I ended up at some dinner party with Kristen Johnston, who I would also interviewed. And game night, dinner, whatever. And I – and John Samuels, he's had a few drinks. And I said, I, I really like your pants. And he goes, oh, you want them? Let's switch. And John Samus was willing to switch pants with me. And I said no because I didn't think I'd be able to give him over my thighs. It's, it's, a, it's a theme. And I, and I didn't want the embarrassment of, like, getting in there to do this thing. And I'm like, oh, nope, I can't, I can't, I can't fit in your pants. And so... Um, I, I honestly... I, 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 t- I, missed, I think I, if I could live life over again, I might try the switcheroo with Stamos. I might try, but I understand. Be, I am also thick of thigh, and so like it is. It is like it is. It is. And now I view it. Now I'm like, yeah. listen, like the thighs are thick and the butt's big. Right. So if you like it or you don't, but like, but then I understand. There was a I lot think, of that was heroin chic days, and yes. so we were. Yeah, we and were, I think I would have been okay with him waking up the next day and going, "Are these from Target? Like, where? What happened?" RJ? And, yeah, but it was the thigh RJ. issue that I that I, I I thought this isn't gonna this isn't gonna this isn't gonna go well. Um, so I, I missed the boat. I think on that. if you had to do that again, like you would maybe, I think it's maybe worth the pants switch. For it's worth sure. Time. You, you never, you, you, what's that old expression? You, you miss a hundred percent of the pants switching opportunities that you don't take. Absolutely. You oh my God. I have, I have a pillow that yeah. says exactly that. So you've been on a number of shows. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Ken, better off Ted, Andy Richter controls the universe union square. What do people know you most from? Which one was the um, one that, 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 that seemed to get you the most, uh, hey, is, aren't you on such and such? Okay. Well, so Union Square, which was like an unfortunate experience, but like um, only because it was not it, – it just didn't work. But, um, but Union Square was back in the day. Right. That was like, musty TV. Yeah, yeah, and so it was on between Friends and Seinfeld. Right. So, um, so that got me like I literally went from like nothing to like everywhere I went, people recognized me. But people would literally be like, "Are you on that show, Union Square?" And I'd go, "Yeah," and they'd be like, "Man, that show sucks. That right. show's awful. Like, why are you on that show?" So I like that was yeah. a horrible. You're experience. ruining must see TV. It's the weak link. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I missed the single guy. Um, yeah, but. Uh, um, so that, I mean, that was the one where I like got recognized a lot. Better off Ted was like culty, yeah. um, because, uh, you had to sort of be smart and know when it was on to yeah, see it. Was, it. It was fun uh, though. I remember that show. Victor too was like that. It was, that was about Victor Fresco shows, who is my favorite showrunner in the entire world. I just adore him. Um, I'll say, I don't know if it's the one I got recognized the most from, but the most surprising was I my high school asked me to come back and speak in my like tiny town. And I was like, okay, but like, I'm pretty unfiltered. And like, I talk about gay stuff and they were like, it's fine. It's fine. My Methodist prep school. Cause you're on TV. So like, right. come back and talk. Um, 
And I stopped by my dad's old doctor office just to see it because I hadn't been back in like 26 years. And they were like, and, and they were sort of like, what are you doing here? And like, who are you? And all that. And, and all of, and, and I wouldn't have thought that this town would have been a Santa Clarita diet watcher. Right. But, and I had only done, I, I was in quite a lot of the third season, but I had only done a couple episodes of the second season. And suddenly a woman went, Oh my God, you're his roommate. And I was like, what? And she goes, Santa Clarita diet, you're Joel's roommate. Oh my God. And like, suddenly they're like, come in, take pictures. You want to see the play? But it was, and that was like my most surprising yeah. because I, you know, you, you sort of go like, well, this probably doesn't play in a small town, but it did. It did. They um, were into it. People mostly just think they go like, you're familiar. Where'd you go to high school? And yeah. I, I don't want to be that like, you know me from TV. Yeah. But like, usually it is that. <laughs> Um, like, how was your speech at the school? How did it go? Well, I thought did it was... Did you prepare I something or just ask questions? Yeah. No, no, no. Because they, they wanted me to talk for like 25 minutes. So like I scripted that thing. What did you talk um, about? I talked about... Um, because I went to a school that had a... It was There was a tremendous amount of structure. And it was very conservative and very... Um, you know, like this, we're prepping you for the Ivy Leagues. And yeah. I didn't go to college. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I wanted to talk about was that no matter what, follow your path, but that the the lessons you've learned here, that I would have thought the lessons I learned here wouldn't be useful to me because I didn't, I didn't do a the sort of the prescribed the traditional course. path. Yeah. Um, but that the work ethic that I learned here was directly applicable to, uh, to going into a career that demanded that I do a tremendous amount of work on my own. And so, so find the, find the you and then find the way to make it work. Um, uh, you know, I gave the speech that I would have wanted to hear when I was there. Yeah. Um, which was that like, you don't have to do what people are telling you you have to do. Um, you know, you, and that like, you know, life is, a, uh, there was, th- th- I didn't get into mortality, but there is like, there is like an, uh, uh, you can do, you can decide to do something. And if you're willing to pay the price for it, you can do it. Like it's, it could be hard and you can do it. And everyone can tell you you're not going to be successful at it and you shouldn't do it and you can still do it. So it was kind of that. I love that. Um, you were, I'm going to throw out some titles to you cause I want to know about people. Grace and Frankie, who, who did you, who did you interact with? I worked with uh, Sam Watterson and Tim Bagley. Great. Right great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no Lily, no Jane. Uh, no, um, no, no, but, uh, honestly, I have friends who are, 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 who work with Lily and Jane and, uh, and I have heard nothing but glorious. Yeah. And I have to say it was just, it was such a fabulous place to work that I can't imagine anything toxic going on there. I love that. Um, which of your shows is the best residual source? Friends? Yeah. Oh, it gives and gives and gives. Were you at the reunion? Did you get to go to the reunion? No, no, no. And honestly, the, my friend's story is like um, a couple of the producers were fans of Andy Richter, right. Control Universe, and the day that it got canceled, they did a rewrite. It was a it was a Tuesday, and they called that night. And when we just did a rewrite, we added a character. Can Jonathan come in tomorrow? Rehearse tomorrow and Thursday, and he'll shoot Friday. So I literally worked two and a half days on Friends, and I have made. Thousands, probably that and a Cinderella story. Um, oh, yes. Because, like, 
because it, that was like I did a favor for the woman who cast as a really good friend of mine, and she was like, "Just come to a day. We can't even pay your day rate." And I went in, and like it was one of those where like I did the scene, and the producers were like, "Well, yeah, you know, like that, but like funny." And I was like, um, "Okay." And they're like, "You know, don't even do the script. Just like make up a bunch of stuff and just be really funny." Right. And I was like, "Wow!" But I just kind of made some stuff up and did it. And what and is a there- Cinderella story? Because I have all these different Cinderellas in my head. Was it a movie it's or a, a series? It's a Hillary Duff movie. Oh, right on. Yeah. So yeah. that that and Friends are that and Friends are, the, are my and CSI is pretty good too. But but those are my like those are my top residuals pairs for sure. Who did you work with on Friends? I worked with uh, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Courtney Cox, and Paul Rudd. Ooh, a Rudd bonus! Yeah. Eternally yeah, youthful, yeah. Paul Rudd. He's, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. When you are starting out in Hollywood and auditioning for these shows. <laughs> I think you know that, especially in sitcoms, one yes can change your entire life. Totally you, my story. And, yeah. and how do you not let that get to your head? You know, how do you not think every audition is like, oh, this is my beach house. Like, this is going to, I'm going to be the next, this is the next Big Bang Theory. Like, how do you, how do you not <laughs> let that drive you crazy? I think you, I knew from the beginning that like, whatever it was going to be, like, uh, there, it was one yes that changed the whole trajectory of my career, um, uh, and I remember it, every moment of it. Which but yes it wasn't. Was it? So, I went in for Caroline in the City, and I had been in so many times for Caroline in the City, um, and I was playing a character that I was completely wrong for, and so I decided I got talked into by Michael doing something so different than the breakdown with it. And it was like maybe a two episode character. And I went in and I did my thing and I got it. And I, and it was a weird, it was a weird week. Cause it was like, I think it was my second sitcom ever. And I was working with Jimmy Burroughs and a nice group of people, but it was just, I was really nervous. And I came out to do my scene and you knew that was when we shot in front of an audience. And it was the first episode back from the first season. So all of NBC was there and I like did my scene and it was, it's not, I don't take credit for this, but it was like just a scene that was designed to go very well. It was very funny, very boisterous, sort of crazy. Right. And I finished and the comic went as Dougie, the ice cream guy, we've got Jonathan Slavin and the audience went insane. In fr- so in front of all of NBC, there was like this moment of who the fuck is that? Yeah. We love you know, him. We love this person. It, Give us more Slavin. And on and that, like those were the people who then wrote my first series regular. And when I when I went in and botched that test because I was so nervous and didn't know what I was doing yet, uh, Warren Littlefield, who ran NBC at the time, was like, "Yeah, but he was great for us on Caroline. Let's hire him." So, but it, it was a surprising yes. I think right. the way that you don't, you know, I always I talk about this show. Do you remember the show Significant Others? It feels like I should know, but I don't. It feels like, okay. is that a movie with Kate uh, Beckinsale? No, that's serendipity. No, but, um, but so uh, Significant Others was like during Dawson's Creek and Scream, like it was like Kevin Williamson like was everything, you know right. what I mean, for that, that time. And he wrote a series about people in their late 20s right around the time that I was in my late 20s. And the town went insane and every agent was trying to get you in the door and everybody was trying like you'd run into your actor friends they'd be like did you get in i can't get in oh my god they just called i'm going in this afternoon i have to go like it was just crazy because because it was going to be the next big thing and they made it and they picked it up and it aired twice wow 
And so what I go is like, there's always one of those. And then there's always one you don't see coming. So like, I just do my job. Do you, you know what I mean? I, you do don't my, get I just do my it. thing. I do my scene. I make sure I like my scene and then I do my scene. And right. that's it. That's the only thing that I have control over. And I do control. I'm a, I'm very controlled about that, but I just do my scene. So how have you managed to stick with it without getting discouraged for the ups and downs? How have you managed the ups and downs? Well, I mean, you know, the fact is I have no education and no utilizable skills. So like there is that, but, um, uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, you know, when people like won't quit smoking and you go, you know, people get cancer from that and they go, I probably won't like, and it's like, no, you will. So like, show it's business like, is your cancer. <laughs> it's my cancer. And I'm just in denial all the time. Cause even I think back of when I was little and I was like, I'm going to do that for a living. And people are like, nobody's successful at that. I was like, yeah, but I think I will be. And like, it just, it's you, you have a certain level of delusion and I do, I'm writing now and I really love that. And I know everybody, it's like the biggest joke in the entire world. Like acting was like really hard. So I became a writer because writing is so hard, um, which I know, you know, um, but it's at the end of the day, I, I did this because I have something to say. I mean, I, I, I try to be an artist no matter what kind of work I'm doing and, and have a point of view. And I'm not done expressing that yet. What are you writing? So, Can I ask you what kind of thing? Yeah. I wrote a feature that's getting some attention nice. and I wrote a pilot that's getting some attention, um, which is nice. And I'm working on what I affectionately call the most depressing Christmas movie of all time. Oh, good. We love a depressing Christmas um, movie. Oh yeah. Bleak. I write, all I write about is like queer people and like, yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I like the stories that I'm telling, but, but people expect like, oh, you yeah. do so much comedy. This is going to be hilarious. And then they read it. It's like, oh, this is dark, but. Yeah. Well, Hallmark yeah. should do a bleak week, like bleak week and Hallmark. The Have you done American a Hallmark Family? Christmas movie? Oh my God. No. Cause to be gay and on Hallmark, you have to be cute and, and young. And I am like, I, like I'm, I'm only one of those three yeah. things. <laughs> so. Now you've mentioned Michael a few times, and I met Michael when you guys, when we were working together. Yeah. You guys are married, full on married, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, how long have you been together? Uh, like twenty eight years. Fantastic. Long Where'd you meet? We met at a party that I RSVP no to, um, and then went to at the last minute, See? and it was a terrible time. I had um, this, I like I uh, this boyfriend that I had in New York was like preparing to come out to LA and Michael's partner before me, uh, had just died. And it was like, it was just not good timing at all, but what are you going to do? But the it worked out. Work. It worked out. Yeah, yeah. You guys were delightful together. Um, the second half of your bio in the program, I noticed is almost all activism. You talk about different things that you care about. I really admire that. And one of the things that I noticed was that you were at a March in Washington in 1987 for gay rights, yeah. 1987. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? What do you remember about it? You must have been a kid. I was. I had. I was seventeen. Um, uh, it was amazing because um, because so much was at stake. Because we were just dropping. We were just dying left and right. And um, and so much of what was killing us was not the disease, but was the apathy towards the disease. And so to be part of a movement that was like, you will not look away from us. You will not ignore us. And to be this, I think I, 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 I think I wore like guest overalls. Yeah, I'm right, and you did. 
I had like like masses of curly hair and I held a sign high above my head and I twinked my way down the street. And <laughs> What did I, your sign say? Do you remember? My sign said, if you're not going to get in my bed, get out of my bedroom. Ooh, nice. Um, I like because it. it. No notes. Uh, uh, it was not my sign. Someone else made it and then right. gave it to me because they were like, you're cute and that'll be provocative. And I wasn't particularly cute. I was just young. But um, But it was... You know, it was, it's hard. I sound like a, like a, like the, like the elder queer that I am when I say it, but it's hard to convey to people what it was like back then. Yeah. How, like were... you meet someone and go like, Oh God, I don't even know if I want to tell them, you know? Right. But you but, were conscientious at 17. Like you were already thinking about that. You're way yeah. ahead of where I was for sure. You know, I, it was, I think it like, it was so hard to be myself where I lived and be surrounded and where I went to school and where, you know, it was, they'd bring me in about my dress code and my hair, but it was just about that. I was too identifiably queer. You were too extra. I was too extra. And it was so hard to just be who I was through that, that as soon as I left, I was like that never again. And I am going to be who I am now. And, and I, and, and I'm going to march and I'm going to yell and I'm going to, I'm this, this, this affects me. I'm watching people, you know, get sick and I'm, and I want, I'm part of this. And, and so my community was, has always been really important to me. I love that. I really admire it too. Um, you picked a few questions from the observation deck. Speaking of your curly hair, describe your most unfortunate haircut. Um, okay. It's directly tied to my Methodist prep school. Oh, right um, on. All the good things was, are. When I was 15, 14, maybe, um, the hair salon in my small town decided to do a fashion show. And I don't even know what it was for, but where they were doing a fashion show and, and they were representing different genres and they brought me in to do punk. Um, and then granted it was works by Pennsylvania, 1980, whatever version right. of punk. Um, but it was lots of like leather vests and, yeah. and stuff. And here I am this, I'm, I was chubby. I was really round and, um, and masses of curls and they shaved the sides of my hair, put three blue streaks in one side and then gave me a curly fuchsia pink mohawk. Wow. And, um, you really committed to the bit. I committed to the bit and it was during the summer and I ran into the dean of discipline, the dean of students, but the dean of discipline for my school. And he said, you cannot come back to school like that. And so I had to shave all of it off, but I had them bleach out just the very front. And so I had like, I had a buzzed head with like blonde curly bangs that then turned that, and it just looked terrible. But you know what? You did it for the show. You did it for- it, I did it for an the artist. Art. You did it for yeah. the art. Okay. I love that. Uh, another question you picked. What's the worst job you ever had? Um, I worked cleanup at a sex club called. Uh, oh my god! Called. Oh god! What well, it was on? It was on like near Vine. Um, it was right when I first to. It was not. Uh, maybe the gaunt. No, not the gauntlet. I honestly don't remember. It what had it was a called. dangerous name. It had, yeah, it was like a very, like, um, like not WeHo, like Silver Lake yeah. Leather. Yeah, club. yeah, yeah. And I would, I took, I handed out flyers and I took the money and then I had to clean the place up at the end. Oh my gosh. Is it as disgusting as one might imagine? Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was bad. Was yeah. there anything sexy about that job? 
Um, you know, I got a lot. I like it. It, it was no. <laughs> I'm trying to find, but no. But all I could think of is like the time I like had to pick up a condom filled with blood, and like so, like no, there was nothing sexy. Oh my god. Um. Once, no. um, yeah. You know, I worked with Jack Plotnick for a while on this Evie character back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one time she did a bathhouse medley, and it was all songs that she sang in a bathhouse. And that was the bit, was like, Bette Midler stole my bit. I was doing that before. And one of the songs was She Works Hard for the Money, and it was dedicated to the cleaning lady, which would be you in this this situation. It was was rough. Yeah, Yeah. you. it was... It was, you know, the it was in the '90s, so that you had like to put on basically a hazmat suit, and when the lights come on, I mean, when there's nobody there and the lights come on yeah. and there's no heat and there's no, I mean, it's like, yeah. Did you ever see people you knew, like Hollywood people or anyone? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, what's the worst costume you ever had to wear for work? Um, the worst costume I ever had to wear for work, I would say, it doesn't. Hmm. I had to wear a mermaid tail, but I loved that. Yeah. Um, what did you wear uh, a mermaid tail for? I wore a mermaid tail in a show called Maximum Bob, where I played right. someone who wanted to be a woman to be in the underwater ballet mermaid show, and I <laughs> loved my tail. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a cowboy costume on Dr. Ken that I begged them not to make me wear um, mm. uh, because it was just... Uh, if it felt like a joke that straight people wrote. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and he, he's dressed up as a cowboy and I just, I think it worked and it was fine. And I had, a, I had a lot of fun on that show. I definitely don't want to, I should talk that show and the showrunners were great. And, and to their credit later when I got brave and would just be like, can we, can we find a way around that? They were so great about that. But, yeah. um, that cowboy costume, I, I just loathed putting it on. Weren't into it. You wear a uniform in Homefront. And it's quite striking. How did, does it feel like, are you like, wow, I, I feel like a, I'm in, I'm Richard Gere um, right now. Yes. I have to get into that uniform so quickly right. that it's almost like, I'm almost like Elsa in Frozen. <laughs> that's exactly what like, I was thinking when you walked out in it. I'm like, that's so Elsa. Um, <laughs> no, but in terms of like the, the onstage costume yeah. page, I basically have to do that. Yeah. So uh, it's, but I, I, I like it. Um, you know, uh, there was a talk of me wearing it for another scene, um, and what I said was that Edward hates the army, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you're yeah, right." So, one and done. One yeah. and done. Um, any other th- uh, projects you got coming on down the pike that we should watch for? Anything else you want to promote? Um, I mean, like my scripts for sure. Yeah. I'm excited about those. Uh, there's some cool people interested, so we'll see All what right. happens. Well, we will think happy thoughts. Um, tell people how they can come and see Home Space Front. Um, you go to the Victory uh, Theater um, to their website, or tickets are available on, on Ovation, I want to say, but tickets are available through the Victory Theater. And you go um, into February. It, uh, yeah, we go at least through mid-February. Awesome. I'm not sure I will extend, but yeah, please please do come and it's see so it. It's so good. I want everyone to go and go see it. Um, do you do social media? Are you on any of that stuff? I am, but I'm like, I mean, but I'm, my social media is an angry little thing. Um, I do, <laughs> I, I basically use Instagram like Twitter and I just write things on Instagram. Oh, right on. All um, right. But yeah. What are you on Instagram? Slavin underscore Jonathan. Right on. All right. I like it. Um, here's my final question. Okay. What do you love about acting? Uh, that's, 
That's a tough question. Um, I love pretending to be someone else. <laughs> that's, that's deeper than you meant to go. No, this um, is what I like. I'd I like to bring it home with a little deep. Yeah, I, I really, uh, again, there is that, there's, there's still that little kid in me that wants to obfuscate a lot of who I am. And so like, and acting gives me the permission and the means to do that. Um, it is also fun because I, I am, I am a fairly reserved, fairly, I'm a compassionate person, but I'm not a super emotional person. And generally I play people who are incredibly emotional. Um, some of them border on histrionic, but they're insecure and they're fragile and they're weird in ways that I'm not. And so it's fun to, um, to have an outlet for things that I tend to keep fairly contained in my own personal life. That's really interesting. That's interesting. You watch for those little moments when we see you do your thing. Um, I love talking to you and I think one of the reasons I thought you would have been so good in misadventures and why you were right is because you're such a good person. And I, oh. I and uh, so it's basically glorifying myself by, by no, no, but, but I was like, Oh no, that he's got a core of goodness that I thought worked so well. And, and those piercing blue eyes, you have beautiful eyes. Thank you. Have they I always, will. have you always known like your eyes are like, um, like a little, a thing. They've always been startling to, pe- to people because I'm my hair is dark, and so like everyone else in my family is brown eyed. So like it's always been a little bit start. Or my like, a, you think, like you might have been a demon child, maybe. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for yeah. sure, demon baby. That was what they called me. <laughs> well, it's my teeth. Um, that weird. I love it. Well, it was so fun talking to you, Jonathan. Congrats on the run. I may come see it again. I just thought it was so good, and I've been telling friends about it. So, oh, okay. um, well, if you do, please let me know. All right, I don't let... always come out at the end, but right. I will. Oh, and there's a little cafe down the road that I love called La Maria. It's oh, it's this is my neighborhood. I live right near the Victory Theater. It's Colombian okay. food. I know they have vegan options, and right. it's delicious. And it's very when the check comes, you're like, that's it. So it's good. Are they open late? Yeah, I don't know how late, but maybe, maybe I don't know if they're open late after your show. Well, do you want to get drinks after the show? And I'm like, at night at ten thirty. Yeah, at ten thirty at night. But yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Uh, Super fun talking to you. Take care, Jonathan. Thank you for doing the podcast. Bye. Thanks again to Jonathan Slavin. You can check out his show, Homefront, at the Victory Theater, and you can learn about it at the Victory Theater Center. Org. And theater in that uh, web address is R-E, theatrecenter.org. All right, so this happened. Um, I went to my friend Matt's recently to have Manwich Night. He likes to make manwiches, and they're delicious. And we were like, let's watch something, whatever. And he pops on the Chelsea Handler comedy special on Netflix. I think it's called Revolution. I'm not sure. But anyway, I've always liked her fine, but she was never, like, my favorite favorite. Man, I love this special. I thought it was really funny. I laughed a lot. I thought it was so sharp. So I'm um, Team Chelsea now, suddenly. Who knew? Um, So, yeah. So otherwise, I haven't gotten out and about very much lately. Um, Still kind of um, dealing with some post-COVID stuff. But I did make it to Jonathan's show, and I'm glad I did because it's terrific, and you should go see it. All right. Also, lately I've been thinking about, you know, I added that new segment. Lately I've been thinking about Madonna. I know it's not a surprise if you heard a... An episode I did with Matthew Rettenman, who wrote the Madonna Encyclopedia. It's Encyclopedia Madonna. You would know I am interested in Madge. But she's going to do her tour. She just had her announcement for her tour. It's going to be a celebration of her hits. And I'm into it. She did this funny video with uh, Amy Schumer and Meg Stalter and Bob the Drag Queen and 
where they parodied Truth or Dare. It was kind of weird, but also kind of great. But I'm I'm leaning into the parts of the Madonna that I love and all the history with all those songs and what it's meant to me in my life. And I'm kind of getting excited and how much your ticket's going to be and whatever. Am I going to put it on my dream board? Of course I am. Um, and I'm on Facebook and this guy that I know who I'm, who I'm friendly with, who I often share opinions about music with. Um, I'm not going to say his name because, you know, but anyway, he's like, this is what he posted. He's like, no, I'm not going to Madonna. I don't trust that she'll pay homage to her videos, music and fashion. And if she does, it'll be tongue in cheek and begrudgingly likely making fun of fans for wanting that. Like he really not, doesn't have time for her, uh, 40 year celebration. He, he doesn't trust her on it. He doesn't trust her. And I get it. I get it. But you know what? I'm choosing to open my heart. I'm opening my heart. Get it? You see where, I, where that was going. I, I kind of, um, I'm excited and I'm going to open my heart to it. Cause you got to, what else are we going to do? She's still alive. Unlike a lot of the, uh, icons from that era. Um, we're going to go. So I'm excited and, uh, I'll keep you posted on that if I get tickets or how it goes. But, um, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I want to go. All right. That's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. JB Bercy for his additional technical support. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.